Final second. This is our second episode. Hi, I'm Doctor Stout. Uh, today's episode is all about the uh, growth of the brain and how we uh, got such large brains. Um, we've been talking about, uh, in general, uh, mind-body evolution, and what 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 does that mean? Uh, I think of uh, the evolution of the mind and body as uh, completely uh, a single um, thing that has happened to us or we have made happen. Uh, and uh, this is often seen as, as separate ideas. And I, I want to really bring them together into a sort of single concept and then unite it with uh, the implications for our evolution. So uh, we often, as biologists, just think about um, particular aspects of our physiology and how they might have happened uh, through evolutionary history, but we don't really think about what that means for our overall health and uh, how we should be living. Uh, so uh, I, I, want, I want to uh, focus on um, both of these things at the same time, the evolution of our mind and of our physiology and how that will affect our health. So last week we were looking at, uh, as we left the uh, rainforest and we became uh, bipeds, so it was sort of our first four million years of evolution, uh, and what that had done for our minds. So our minds were ever so slightly larger instead of, uh, say, about 350cc brain in a uh, uh, chimpanzee, it was maybe a 450cc brain in an Australopithecine. Uh, our, our teeth got really tough. Uh, so we developed jaws that were uh, great for chewing, and we developed uh, a bipedal gait so that we could walk long distances without uh, uh, expending too much energy. So this was the time when we were really uh, developing a, um, a, a, a goal in our physiology for efficiency and for storing every possible calorie that we would get and not expending it all in, in, in whenever we could. Uh, so that was pretty much the scene for the first four million years. Uh, but then things began to change, and it was another rather abrupt change, uh, much like coming out of the, uh, the jungle uh, made us uh, bipeds. It was a, uh, a moment where we entered a new evolutionary uh, niche, where we uh, suddenly acquired large brains. And what could have been driving this? So we were already quite good at finding our foods. We were... Um, good at uh, uh, social interactions. We could lie to each other. We could detect lies. We had uh, large territories. We would have been able to work together. Uh, and we can see all of these things in chimpanzees. So these are things that our brains were already good at. What was, what was driving the next change? So first of all, it was the beginning of the Ice Age. So there was a mo another major climactic uh, impact. Uh, things got much drier. So things were even worse. And so we were already sort of the, 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 the poor relatives of chimpanzees out on the Serengeti without fruit, but having to dig for everything. And now things got even harder. And so we turned to a resource uh, that uh, was not fully exploited out on the Serengeti, uh, and that was um, uh, scavenging. Uh, we became uh, uh, obligate scavengers, um, and uh, we started eating a lot more meat in our diets. Uh, and so... The technologies that uh, would have been developing at this time were the sharp stones. Uh, so uh, Australopithecines would have had um, very simple tools, which wouldn't left any 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 particular um, 
remains behind, sticks, maybe maybe some chipped rocks. Uh, there's there's a few out there that people think might have been purposely chipped for for a reason. And we know that uh, there's even monkeys uh, that will use stones to uh, crack uh, nuts and things like that. So the idea of stone tools and sticks would would have already been in our lineage. Uh, but starting around two million years ago, you see a huge expansion uh, in brain volume up to around, uh, you know, six, 700 cc's. Um, and this coincides with sudden arrival of uh, stone tools. And so this would have allowed a new source of, uh, of calories. Uh, we would go to a, a, a carcass and be able to slice it open. And uh, we would have gotten uh, uh, things that other animals couldn't get. So we could cut through a thick hide that uh, even a hyena wouldn't be able to get through an elephant's hide probably for a couple of days. Uh, but uh, a, a, uh, a sharp rock can get in. And then we would have been able to crush a bone of a larger animal like a, like an elephant or a rhino that even a hyena wouldn't be able to bite through. And so uh, one of the main things that we encountered would have been um, uh, the muscle meat. Uh, we would not have been able to get um, as much in the way of, uh, of organ meat. It's probably why we don't like it. Most carnivores love organ meat. It has a lot more fat in it, but it doesn't preserve well while sitting out on the hot African sun. And so uh, meats, dried meats, uh, this is what we started to to uh, look for, uh, and bone marrow. Bone marrow is very fatty and would have been a great source of calories for our big big brains. Uh, but there's one more capability that we we really need to think about that uh, makes us human, and that is our ability to throw. We don't think about it as central to being human. Um, uh, the way we do, say, uh, our large brains, but it's actually directly connected to our large brains. Um, as we are developing tool use. The, the left hemisphere of our brain is uh, getting particularly uh, 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 selected for, uh, and we become handed. Uh, but this, this region of our brain um, that eventually becomes the language region is also the region that controls uh, throwing uh, and targeting systems. So uh, I think that the growth of the brain wasn't just about tool use. Tools enabled the growth of the brain, and the growth of the brain enabled tools. But what I think got it going was throwing itself. So chimpanzees throw, but they don't do it very accurately. It's more of a display kind of uh, uh, arrangement. And if you imagine us out on the Serengeti without any defenses, uh, probably the Australopithecines would have been doing inaccurate throwing uh, from a very early time, just as you would see in a chimpanzee. Uh, and this would have been pretty effective. We know that uh, today uh, there are groups in Africa that, well, you know, herding cows, they see a lion coming, they'll just throw clods of dirt at it and the lion will go away because a lion can't stand having, you know, something hits it in the eye, it will go hungry for a couple of days. If it chips a tooth on something, it might starve to death. So a lion's not going to mess with you if you're, if, you're, if you're throwing rocks and sticks at it. You know, it's, 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 it's going to run away. And this was probably our number one defense out on the Serengeti. Uh, and uh, what we see in association with the brain getting larger uh, is uh, changes in the body itself. And so some of these would have been for any kind of tool use. We got um, uh, stronger thumbs and shorter fingers that allowed better gripping. Uh, so now we could grip a stick and hit something with it. Uh, but this was also the grip that allowed us to hold a stone and throw it properly. Uh, now, why do I think this is not just a matter of, say, the ability to hit something with a stick or a club or say hitting one rock against another but it was actually throwing is you see sh uh, changes in the shoulder and the waist 
that are specific for throwing. If you think of a baseball pitcher, leaning back, rotating the waist, uh, Homo erectus could do this in a way that the Australopithecines could not, uh, chimpanzees could not. Chimpanzees would throw sort of sideways uh, from their elbow, uh, whereas a baseball pitcher is re reaching way back, arc arcing their back, twisting their waist. That flexibility is something that first occurred uh, in, in the same group that had the first larger brains. And so there's a direct connection between the growth of the brain and the ability to throw, and which is interesting in terms of uh, um, you know, thinking about uh, health aspects, that while we have uh, evolved as these very efficient machines that are storing calories, we've also evolved in things where um, we have... Uh, we have the evolutionary ability to produce explosive energy very, very quickly if it's directed. Probably not the way modern baseball pitchers are. I don't think it's good for you to pitch for three hours at 100 miles an hour. But uh, the development of, of, of being able to throw something targeted 10, 20, 30 times a day is part of our evolutionary history. And I think it's something that we've uh, neglected in, in sort of most of our ideas of exercise. Maybe in the martial arts, you'll get explosive power like that. Uh, but combining it with full rotation, uh, with uh, the idea of the arm flexing backwards, uh, these are things that are, are, are central to our evolutionary history. And we should be able to do it with both hands. Now, we became right-handed probably because it gave us just a slight edge. So the left side of our brain is a little bit better at targeting, a little bit better at coordination, and even a tiny edge was going to give you a big advantage. Um, but uh, traditionally, people have been able to throw with both sides. There's, there's, there's uh, you know, an account of um, the Europeans landing on uh, Terra del Fuego and uh, meeting a... Uh, uh, one of the inhabitants, and you know, of course, it didn't go well. Uh, and so, the first thing we did was shoot him uh, as soon as we saw him. And uh, he he then started picking up rocks after he'd been shot, dodging side to side, throwing with both hands. He took out three people before they brought him down. Finally, he broke a guy's collarbone, knocked two guys in the head, knocked. Uh, you know, they, they they were they were. He almost took out a group of Marines just throwing rocks at them. Uh, so this was something that 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 people could do really well. Uh, you know, there are still people out there who can who can uh, um, just go out and kill a rabbit. Uh, you know, I had friends who were trekking in Mongolia and the guy said, I'm going to go get you dinner. And they looked around and it was just grassland in all directions. And he went out, came back with two rabbits and he just thrown rocks at them. This is something that is in our history. And we certainly know a baseball pitcher can do it, but it's something that we all can do. Maybe not at that level. Uh, you know, I've, I've clocked my own ability to throw at something and it's not great. I barely break 40 miles an hour, but that would be enough to, uh, you know, throwing a, 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 a baseball sized rock would if, if you definitely could throw it accurately. If you could throw yeah, it accurately. Yeah, no. And yeah, that, and that, yeah. that was the speed I, I, from about 20 or 30 feet, I could mostly hit something at about 30 to 40 miles an hour, which is not great, <laughs> but would really, really hurt whatever I was throwing it at. So throwing became uh, central to who we were. Uh, but then we have to think about what happens uh, next in our, in our, in our um, uh, progression. So uh, Homo erectus uh, would have become suddenly one of the top uh, uh, dangers out on the Serengeti. By throwing rocks at things, we are now able to stand down uh, most things during the day. At night, we can't see as well. Uh, we have to gather around and find some sort of defense. 
But uh, during the day, uh, out on the Serengeti, we can throw rocks at almost anything, and most things are going to be deterred. Not an elephant or a rhino, but the predators are, 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 we're now much, much safer from the predators because we can do this. It's going to take a lot more lions to take us down. Uh, and so what became our new threat was each other. And so uh, now we're running into the problem of uh, uh, we have to fight other groups of humans. Uh, and so what this would have been called was confrontational scavenging. And so this would have started off, you see the birds gathering, you run to the carcass, uh, you slice a piece of meat from the carcass, and then you run away before the bigger predators get there. And so that was sort of the general model. Uh, and there would have been some, uh, you know, hyenas and lions coming. We would have thrown rocks at them, cutting off that piece of meat, defending it long enough, and then going away. Because so your, your, your sharp stone and your throwing stones become important. Well, you need the sharp stones to cut with, but you also need things to, 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 to throw at, at the predators. But that could have been almost anything, clods of dirt, rocks. But yeah, the stones would have hurt more. And having a, a sharp stone would have been uh, particularly useful, um, for, uh, for both slicing and, you know, might have hurt more. Uh, but when it came to other uh, members of our genus, uh, other Homo erectus, uh, now, now we had another issue. They could throw at us. And so you have two groups who are able to throw clods of dirt and rocks at each other. And this is when I think we combined our number one tool, the sharp stone, with our throwing weapon. And so we sharpened hand axes all the way around, so they're like throwing stars. And this wasn't uh, a, a, a hunting tool primarily, in my opinion, although it, it, it could have been. Uh, I think they would have been generally too valuable to use that way. Most animals that you could kill with a stone, you could kill with just a random stone, but a sharp stone would have been particularly effective against another uh, human who was standing there naked screaming at you. A sharp stone, even if it didn't kill them, would definitely do some damage. So, you know, even at 30 miles an hour, not you know, your best throw, if it just winged them, they would be in big trouble. And so this became uh, our, the, the one thing that we made more than anything else uh, in, in, in our history was the hand axe. Uh, because it was our knife, it was our weapon, it was the thing you went away with, holding it in your hand, because you had to have some way of defending yourself. Uh, and I think it led to some interesting aspects of our psychology, uh, so that we're very aggressive. If you have a bunch of people with stones, whoever has got the most stones and is throwing them uh, more rapidly is going to be winning any kind of uh, a contest. So having a pile of stones and a lot of people is the way you win any kind of territorial uh, uh, battle. But what happens when you have one person against one person? Let's say it's a male-male competition for a mate. So you've got two guys fighting over someone. Or you've got just got two guys who've met each other at the edges of a territory, right? So they've met each other at the edge of a territory. Each one's got their hand axe. How's that going to go? If you're the first one to throw, you lose. The other guy's going to run right up to you and hit you from four feet away with his hand axe. Or he'll just stab you because you don't have a hand axe anymore and, he, and he's and he got a sharp knife. So uh, it became uh, an advantage, an evolutionary advantage to not be the first one to throw, particularly in interpersonal uh, interactions. Uh, so we, while we became very aggressive and we got really good at throwing sharp things at each other and were able to defend large territories this way, uh, we also figured out a way to not kill each other. And this is something you see uh, amongst dangerous animals, uh, you know, throughout the animal kingdom, particularly with male-male competition. 
So uh, people, some people have these weird ideas that hand axes were for display and that uh, the beauty of your hand axe was to attract a, 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 a mate. But I, I, I find that um, a, a bit of a stretch. Uh, I think they were for what they look like. They were, they were knives and they were for cutting and they were for chopping and they were also for throwing. Uh, and um, if, if you think about male-male competition uh, with dangerous animals... Uh, you have things like the, you know, the elephant seals slashing at each other, but they make sure that they have, you know, enough blubber so they're not killing each other when they slash each other's throats. Uh, you know, more typically, you can think of something like, um, you know, bighorn uh, sheep or a uh, or a, the, a, a, a stag. Uh, two stags are, are, are clashing antlers. Those antlers are full of spikes that could easily kill each other, but they run head on to each other and then it becomes a shoving contest and the biggest stag wins without killing the other one. And so this is how evolution figures out uh, ways to deal with uh, the danger that we present to each other, where um, whoever passes on their genes wins the competition. So everything matters. If that involves killing the other person, so be it. Passing on your genes is all that matters. But if we kill each other all the time, we won't exist. And we are... None of us will get to pass on our genes. And we're communal yeah. species and we live in communities. And so if you wipe out the rest of your community, you're actually starting to cost yourself something. Uh, there, there, there's, it's, it's always difficult to come out with a uh, sort of a, a way for defending uh, any kind of, of group evolution. But you can certainly see if the people next to you are, you know, related in some way and they have some of your genes, not killing them is in favor for your evolution. And we would have been living with other males who are relatively related to us. And so killing them was probably a bad idea. Uh, so backing down became something that we were able to do, uh, to scream at each other, wave the stones back and forth, and then step back. And so one of the interesting things that you see at this time is uh, Australopithecine males are about twice the size of the females. Uh, Homo erectus males are 20, 25% larger than the females. So we're becoming, uh, in some ways, more egalitarian. If you think about um, the way different primates mate, uh, where you see males and females of the same size, uh, that's a monogamous relationship. Uh, what you're seeing here is um, something uh, 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 probably with male-male competition, possibly some sort of uh, polygamous relationship, uh, multiple wives, sometimes one, sometimes more, it depends. Uh, but competition between males for mates with perhaps the ability to not kill each, each other for it. So uh, actually backing down, sort of a mutually assured destruction seems to be uh, basic to the way we think about things. Um, the interesting thing is this is probably when, when a more advanced form of language is also developing. So as uh, tools are developing uh, and we're seeing the growth in the left-hand side of the brain, uh, we're also uh, developing the regions, same regions of the brain that, that we now see, call you know, the language regions. This is sort of a, a old version of thinking about the brain, but uh, the, the linguistic regions of the brain uh, are the same uh, ones that control... Um, uh, 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 things like hand-eye coordination and uh, the ability to do small movements with the fingers that you would need for tool use and swinging a hammer or something like that. Uh, and they're definitely the same regions that involve throwing. And I think it's really interesting the way, um, the way language is built with a subject and a verb and an object kind of uh, copies the way we think where we throw something at something. I throw the rock mm, mm. at the other person. Uh, and that this is uh, 
a, a, a sort of grammar that's built into the actions themselves. And so the grammar portions of the brain are also the ones that control uh, targeting a hammer onto the thing you're hitting. Uh, these are the same, the same regions that are controlling these small movements and the, 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 the intent behind hitting something is the same ones that are controlling things like uh, syntax and uh, word formation. Um, it's, you know, Broca's and Wernicke's areas of the brain are the one, same ones that are contro controlling uh, uh, a lot of uh, tool action. And in my opinion, also uh, throwing. Now, again, these are, this is old ways to think about the brain. Like, say, if you imagine an atom is something with a nucleus and electrons spinning around it, you're about a hundred years or more out of date, but it's a good way to think about an atom, right? So thinking about the brain with language regions that are then controlling and talking to each other in particular areas like this is, is a somewhat out of date way of thinking about the brain, but, it, but it's useful. It's and a useful model. It's a useful model and it's, and it's not completely inaccurate, right? It, 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 it is somewhat true. And, and can, can be used that way. So we definitely are seeing the left-hand side of the brain getting larger. We're seeing the right-hand side of the body's bones getting thicker. So they're being used more. We're becoming more fully right-handed. Um, and uh, we're, 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 we're probably developing the ability to have language at this time. Uh, and there's other physiological changes. So the, um, the throat is starting to change. A, a chimpanzee can breathe and drink water at the same time, whereas you as a human cannot do this. Uh, and more humans would survive if we could, right? So we have to get the Heimlich maneuver or we die when we choke on something. This is an evolutionary cost. So why did we do this? Why did we, we, we lowered our larynx, we lowered our voice box, uh, and probably it had something to do with communication and that communication was very important to us or we would have not taken on this cost. And so uh, sort of piggybacking on this development of the brain, having to do with confrontational scavenging, having to do with throwing sharp rocks at each other, uh, we were also building uh, the nature of language into our brain. And so it's, it's um, built on uh, what we were doing, the idea of hitting something with something else. It's built on um, the already existing uh, Machiavellian sort of ways of manipulating each other. And now we've done this into our display activities. We've got this into, into the tools we're using and how we, how we interact with each other has uh, all been associated now with language. And so now we can do with sounds coming out of our mouth what we could only do physically before that. So the way a chimpanzee would say comfort another chimpanzee, we can now perhaps do with sounds, right? <laughs> so we don't know exactly when language is starting, but we're seeing the, 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 the region of the brain and we're seeing physiological changes that one would expect if language is happening at this time, right? So not saying that chimpanzees don't have very fine brains that are very good for social interactions and that they are, you know, a, a fully sentient species, um, but they don't have the same linguistic capabilities that we do. Their brains simply are not as large. There are many things they can't do that we can, such as chipping rocks with a pattern and a form that you can actually see the form happening. Uh, you know, so this is probably where we're getting um, the beginning of mental images that we can then copy into a particular shape. All of these things having to do with the beginning of an abstract language where we're saying sounds that represent something. Many animals now, can do now, this. Now, this is what you, the beginnings of which you talked about in the, in the last conversation when we began to imagine the tubers underground. Right. So we're, we're, yeah. we're, we, 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 
all animals have some way of modeling the world around them. All of this is involving imagination in some way, because modeling the world around you in your brain is imagination. Uh, but yes, now this is coming to a, 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 at another level where it's not just imagining how I can fool someone else with my ideas, but it's, it's, uh, it's imagining uh, what does a rock look like when I look at a rock? How am I going to get this hand axe out of the rock? Imagining the hand axe in the rock is, is, a, is a whole nother level of imagination. And so it's not art yet, but it's definitely a concept in our head that we can now make. And we pass this down. And so hand axes become the number one thing that gets made. Uh, we see them everywhere. They spread across the world. There's hand axes in every place that people have, have, have gone because this was what we made for the next two million years or so. Uh, everywhere. And interestingly, if you go to some of these sites um, uh, in, in Africa where people were making hand axes, you'll find them just heaped on the ground. Everywhere you look is just piles of hand axes. And so uh, this would have been associated with the first development of a true home base where, um, you know, a, an Australopithecine would have been roaming from place to place. There were probably trees they liked to go to because they were great for shade near a river, etc. But now, uh, it's worth stockpiling weapons so that if another group of uh, Homo erectus comes along and you're the ones with a pile of hand axes, you can throw hand axes all day. How many hand axes can they have? They can have two, right? So uh, you now have a defensible area. It's not the same as having a roof and walls, right? We're not in houses yet. We're not even in tents. But having a defensible area with a giant pile of your weapons uh, gives you a place uh sort of that is that is more significant than the rest of the territory around you, right? So there was probably shade, there was probably water, there was a reason to have this spot, but also access to good stones and then building up a pile of them where you live became important. So this is also building up the idea of connection to a place. Uh, so uh, certainly chimpanzees would have had territory, uh, but with the development of language, we're starting to build uh, larger communities with language. We can, we, can, we can interact with larger groups. We can defend larger places. And now we're connected to particular places, to, 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 to the land, uh, because that's where our hand axes are. <laughs> and that's where we get the rocks that we use to make them. Uh, and so uh, we were certainly still nomadic. We're moving from place to place. So we probably had several home bases that we'd move through seasonally as, as uh, uh, systems changed and as, as weather changed. Um, uh, so uh, th these, were, these were sort of a combination of uh, uh, mental and physiological changes that are going hand, by hand, uh, hand in hand uh, at the same time. This is why I say that the mind and the body are not two separate things. These are happening absolutely together. So as we get changes in the shoulder blade that allows us to bring our hand behind our own bodies, we're also getting a larger brain that allows us to talk to each other. And so we're getting the ability to have a... Um, a mental concept that we can shape in language in some way. So we can say a word in our head and then we can say it out loud, right? So chimpanzees have communication, uh, but they probably don't have this sort of secondary linguistic aspect in their own brains when they're doing it. Um, it's hard to say what humans do. We, we have, you know, two levels. We have the underlying thoughts and we have the language. Our thought is not simply language. Language happens after thought, but we organize our thoughts with language. And so this is, this is now 
a, a capability that we're de developing and we're able to now build, um, as I said, communities and home bases and a, a, a group of people who interact with each other with language. And so now this is how we, um, we, we, we comfort each other, how we threaten each other, uh, how we organize, right? So our, our, our hunting ability becomes much more advanced. At some point uh, in sort of the first million years of, uh, uh, of the Homo erectus, we start developing these new capabilities where we go from being confrontational scavengers, running out to a carcass, scaring off the other scavengers, scaring off the other humans, stealing a piece, running back, to actual hunters. And we start becoming more organized and we can chase animals to a particular direction over a cliff maybe. I don't know if Homo erectus was doing that much, um, but certainly we could we could organize ourselves to to maybe even run down animals because of language because of language and because of our you know ability to uh talk to each other about what we're going to do make plans um the same way we're able to uh pass on the concept of a hand axe now a lot of this stuff can be done without language right so a a, a wolf can organize a wolf pack and go off and do a hunt without without language um I suspect I could make a hand axe if I could make a hand axe. They're not that easy. But someone could make a hand axe and you could learn how to do it without ever using language, right? You could just copy their activity. But language makes all of this easier. You can say, no, 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 not like that, right? You can, you can, you can do things with language uh, that is uh, uh, more difficult uh, without it. Um, now, I don't think we had the fully developed language that we do today. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't at that level yet. And we can see it in the physiology. So I mentioned the throat dropping. This happens over the course of a human's life. So we start off as babies who can nurse and breathe at the same time. That's important, right? <laughs> and we have little turned up noses uh, and, we can, and, and we can suck while we breathe through them uh, and we don't drown. Um, so uh, over or the course of our lifetime, uh, 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 all the way through puberty, our, our larynx is dropping and uh, we are learning to form words. So a four-year-old having difficulty with words, some of it is simply they don't have the apparatus that they will later in life to make those sounds. And so uh, we're seeing this in, the, in Homo erectus. So Homo erectus would have had a throat something like a six-year-old. So not fully developed uh, by modern human uh, standards, but certainly one that is... Uh, they would not have been able to uh, eat and drink at the same time uh, and, and breathe at the same time. Uh, and they would have been able to make more complex sounds than they did before their larynx dropped. So we're seeing a physiological uh, advancement in language, but it is not uh, physiologically complete yet. They, do, they don't have the same kind of, uh, 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 of innervation. Uh, they don't have, um, we have really, uh, uh, we have really precise control of our, of our, um, of our chest, of our tongues, um, uh, of, of, of uh, the apparatus for speech. Uh, this is not as developed yet in Homo erectus. So uh, they would definitely not have any opera singers. They wouldn't have had the diaphragm control. They wouldn't have had the breath control to make the kind of sounds that a modern human can make. But they're on their way. They're vastly beyond what a chimpanzee could do. Uh, and the brains are about twice the size of a chimpanzee's at this time. So, you know, 700 cc's as opposed to 350. Uh, so this is a major, major, major change, uh, and it's a major change in our way of life. We are now, as I said, meat eaters. We're not just uh, uh, digging up uh, roots and occasionally, you know, catching a lizard, but we're, we're uh, on purpose going for large animals because these are the ones that are less, uh, that the predators are less able to get into and take away, right? So if something catches a rabbit, we're not going to get any of that rabbit. 
But if something kills an elephant or an elephant just dies, um, nothing can get through the hide. So we might be the first to get through that hide. If something else is sort of burrowed into its stomach and has eaten all the uh, contents of the stomach, we can still cut away the hide and get to the meat. We can, with a stone tool, uh, take out the joints in a leg and take out a whole leg and run away with that. So we're, we're eating the things other things don't like to eat. We're able to get at them in ways other things aren't able to do. And then we can take a big rock and we can break a bone with it, even a bone of an elephant, and get to the very rich, fatty bone marrow inside. So these are, are new techniques that we develop. The, basically, the moment our brain increases, we develop these techniques, and we couldn't have gotten these techniques without our brain increasing. I, I think the piggybacking... Chicken and egg here. I think the piggybacking started with throwing that it was something we were doing already. And as we got better at throwing, we could get carcasses more easily because we could scare off the predators simply by throwing clods of dirt at them. Something that chimpanzees already do. Uh, so it's already in our behavior. We got incrementally better at this. And then suddenly we got a lot better when we combined it with sharp things that could cut into the, into the meat. So um, just like moving out on the Serengeti, there wasn't a million years of slowly becoming a biped. There was, we lived in the jungle, and then suddenly you see several bipeds happening at the same time. There's almost no intervening moment. So you have a whole bunch of bipeds living out on the Serengeti for 4 million years, chewing roots, and then suddenly one of their brains expands roughly double, uh, and in like a 100, 200,000 year period, we go from uh, a sort of transitory homo habilis to homo erectus, uh, and then we stay that way for the next 2 million years. Um, a transition takes place over a hundred million years. A hundred thousand. A hundred thousand years. Yes. And then we stay that same way more or less for about the next two million years with our brain slowly growing, but our physiology just staying kind of the same. A, it's such rapid, rapid change this seems, followed by stasis. This seems to be the way evolution often happens. When, when a new ability is developed, you select for that ability very, very quickly. And then once you've solved the problem you were trying to solve, being a biped or being intelligent, now you have a new evolutionary niche that you fill. And so you then try and maximize the ability within that niche, but your evolution slows down. Uh, and so sometimes this is called punctuated equilibrium. Some people call it evolution by jerks. It's like a just sudden, like a, something changes and then you're sort of at a new level. It's not that it's, it's in a moment. It, could be, but mostly it's not in a moment. Uh, a momentary change would be well, something. A hundred thousand years is a hundred thousand years. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's time. It's yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, sometimes there are things when, say, let's say two chromosomes get fused together. You can't. You can't. That that's a new species in a moment, and then evolution could happen after that. So sometimes that could happen where it really is instantaneous. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a series of of you know incremental changes, but they're selected for so heavily. Whoever throws the rocks better gets more food. Uh, and then that quickly turns into whoever throws the rocks better gets more food and more mating opportunities because we compete with each other. And if you're getting food and mating opportunities, evolution loves you. And so, you know, we, we, we went in that direction very, very quickly. Um, Fascinating. Yeah. All, All right. right. I guess uh, we'll, we'll go on in this direction. So next week, uh, I'll be talking about um, uh, uh, further development of the imagination, uh, and we'll get into uh, things like art and aesthetics and how we got up to you know modern language as it is today and what kind of things that would have been associated with uh, how we lived, what our diet would have been, what kinds of uh, exercise we would have been doing at this time, say, um, 200, 100,000 years ago in that range. 
All right. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. See you next time.